All right, welcome to the White Collar Crimes Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Horn, and as always, I'm glad you've stopped by. Hope you've had a good week, good weekend for us. We took in the Oppenheimer movie. Good movie, but if you go, I'm sure you've heard the length and all of that. And yes, it is a rather long movie, about a three-hour movie, but some solid acting, directing, things like that taking place in it. So overall, it was a good good, uh, afternoon out. We caught it. So again, hope you are doing pretty well. Michael Cohen, that's a name you probably remember hearing a lot in the last few years. He is a former disgraced attorney now. He's famous for, at one time, being a personal attorney for former President Trump. But uh, who is Michael Cohen and what all has he been involved in? Well, Michael Cohen grew up in a well-to-do Jewish family. And... His mom was a nurse, and his father was a surgeon. So pretty good, pretty good background to grow into. Sure, he probably didn't hurt for much if your dad was a surgeon and your mom's a nurse. He probably grew up in a pretty upper class, pretty well-to-do family. But in 1991, Cohen got his law degree from the Thomas M. Cooley Law School in Michigan, and that's a pretty well known law school. I actually do know an attorney personally that went to that law school, so it is a, uh, a pretty well known one. Um, I don't think it's considered like one of the upper echelon ones, if I recall correctly about it, but it certainly is a good and well known law school. So he gets a law degree from there in 1991, and Cohen primarily worked in private practice in personal injury, and any of you know anything about law practices or anything like that, that is one of the areas of law practice where you can make a lot of money if you're really good at it. I mean, you can in a lot of different law practices, but a lot of the big bucks are in personal injury. And if you're really good at it, you can can make a name for yourself. There's several attorneys that have become multimillionaires because of their skills in this uh, sector. So he goes into work in personal injury and at that time, did a little bit of work for the Atlantic Casino. And he would continue into this practice until about 2007 when he joined the Trump Organization. And as you know, at time, Trump Plaza, things like that, that was a, Trump was very big in that time in the gambling scene in the Atlantic City and in New York area. So they get connected around this time, and he goes to work for Trump's organization at this time. Now, over the years, he also came into prominence owning several taxi businesses, which most of the time has been a pretty lucrative business, I would think. Although now, with Uber and Lyft and a lot of these rideshare companies that have come out where people, anybody with a car and a smartphone can pretty much become an independent contractor in their own taxi service, I imagine this is an industry that's probably taken some hits over the years. In fact... There have been some cases that have come up in court, some lawsuits. I believe it's in California, and there might have been some other states that had some suits brought up on this. But so far, because a lot of the taxi companies, their beef was that by most of the time state regulations, they're required to have licensing and a lot of different things like that, where people operating as independent Uber, Lyft, or whatever type of rideshare drivers are not required to do this. And... 
Therefore, they save a lot of money and headaches that the taxi companies are required to do, which it is kind of strange. I, I'm not sure I understand the court's logic on this, but nonetheless, uh, that's probably a business I would say, even though uh, Mr. Cohen made a lot of money on it over the years, I would say right now a lot of people that are in the taxi business probably are struggling. And certainly, you know, most businesses, a lot of them did take hits during the COVID epidemic that happened in the last few years that cut into a lot of businesses because I'm sure a lot of people just simply weren't going anywhere as you know Uh, if you were in a state of Illinois like mine or some of these other states that were completely locked down during this time people weren't going much of anywhere so anybody in a taxi or even the rideshare businesses I know Uber and some of these other companies like that took some big hits during that time too but uh, he made his bones made some pretty good money not only in personal injury but he also made it owning several taxi businesses. And he also came into Manhattan real estate, owning a few apartment buildings. And let's face it, New York is the place to build a real estate empire. It's certainly how he came in contact with Donald Trump at this time. We've talked about Leona Helmsley on here a while back in the early days of this podcast, how she built a real estate empire there in New York only to not pay her taxes and arrogantly defy the law before she found herself in prison, but nonetheless did build a pretty hefty real estate empire at that time. So that's a good place if you are in business, if you're in that business, it's a good place where you can make a lot of money if you're good at it. In fact, one of the buildings he purchased was said to be worth over $50 million, which for an apartment building, I don't know about you folks, most of you where you're listening at, but I know certainly in my area, apartment buildings are not worth $50 million. Um, There's some nice ones in my area and probably in your area where most of you are listening to from, you can find somewhere around that's got a pretty nice apartment building, especially a lot of apartment buildings. If you go to Carbondale near where I'm at, a university town and probably the university towns where you are, a lot of apartments and a lot of real estate investment, you know, makes sense to do that because that's where people are going to be renting and needing a uh, needing a home so that's a good place to start businesses like that but I don't know of any in my area that are worth over 50 million dollars now his political involvement in that time though was mixed because he was at that time he had been known for supporting president democratic presidential candidates uh, Barack Obama and Michael Dukakis and for those younger viewers, Michael Dukakis was the 1988 candidate for president, the Democrat nominee, and he lost to then president or vice president George H.W. Bush, who was W's father, uh, in the 1988 election. And at that time, I believe Dukakis was serving as the governor of Massachusetts. So he would later support Trump in his presidential aspirations, but also something to keep in mind, too, At this time, if I recall correctly, around 2007, Donald Trump might have also himself been a registered Democrat at this time before switching political parties. But nonetheless, he was known to kind of mix his support up, probably wherever was most advantageous for him. And that's who he oftentimes threw his money and support behind. And he had a little interest in politics himself. Uh, In fact, he also ran unsuccessfully for the New York City Council. That's a pretty prestigious council to be on. Even if you're not the mayor, to be a city councilman in a city the size of New York is you're going to have a bigger district. Probably your ward, as they're called where I live, most of the uh, 
aldermen and, and city councilmen where they operate out of. It's usually called a ward. But whatever ward or it is you represent in New York, it's going to be huge, probably bigger than most congressional districts out there. So uh, something that he uh, aspired to, he had an interest in politics, but he was not able to win this election or get this seat. But nonetheless, he stayed actively involved politically, donating money, keeping the political connections, making the deals, wheeling and dealing, getting the real estate deals, all that to kind of build himself a good little empire and also a law practice. As I said earlier on, as you remember, he uh, was also pretty good in the personal injury sector of practicing law. Now, in 2018, he began to pop up, though, on the radar of federal law enforcement. How many times have we said that on this podcast? They oftentimes start out doing well, but they get a little bit, as that saying goes, too big for their britches and kind of branch out, maybe make a careless mistake or two, and before you know it, they are on the radar of federal law enforcement or sometimes even state and local law enforcement. As I said, this all happens in 2018, and in April of 2018, his home and law office were raided and searched by federal agents. Agents searched several items, some related allegedly to Trump's payment to adult film actress Stormy Daniels, and I know most of you probably remember that ordeal from just a few years back, although... I believe Trump did win out in court where she was required to, I think, even pay some of his legal expenses, if I recall correctly. But the scandal was at that time that he had had an affair with her and had paid her hush money to stay quiet. Well, by August, the feds had had uh, announced that they were wrapping up their investigation. So Cohen, seeing the writing on the wall, what's coming, And he's an attorney. He knows the court system, probably knows what's up. He decides to turn himself in on August 21st of 2018. So we're talking about four months or so after they've raided his place. Sees the writing on the wall and turns himself in at the time that he was indicted and charged with five counts of tax evasion and one count of making a false statement to a financial institution one count of unlawful corporate contribution, and one count of making an excessive campaign contribution at the request of a candidate. So he was making some illegal campaign contributions, lying about financial records, probably to get loans and things like that for his real estate empire. And as we've seen so many times on this podcast that's brought so many down, again, Leona Helmsley, Wesley Snipes, different ones we've talked about. The tax man ends up being his undoing, and that's who ends up part of what's bringing him down here was not paying the taxes, although he had also made some uh, illegal corporate contributions as well as illegal political contributions. Now, by November 2018, he had pled guilty to lying to the House and Senate Intelligence Committee. Now, I remember the Bill Murray quote, and it's Bill Murray, the actor and comedian. He said, when they lie to us, meaning Congress, House, Senate, or politicians in general, I guess, that's just political rhetoric or just a broken promise. When we lie to them, we go to jail. 
And that's a good point, regardless of your politics. I think whether you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent, or if you're listening from overseas and have different political affiliations, what, regardless of that, I think we can all be in agreement that there is, I think, some level of truth to that. Because if you are under oath before a House or Senate committee and they determine that you've perjured yourself or lied or whatever, they are most likely going to be coming at you and locking you up. And that's exactly what happened to Cohen. And he would receive a two-month sentence for that little mishap for lying to the House and Senate, or to the, yeah, to the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, that he was getting that to serve concurrently with his three-year sentence for the other federal charges, the uh, tax evasion, the false corporate, or the excessive corporate and political contributions, the false statements to a financial institution, those federal charges got him just about a three-year sentence is all, despite multiple counts of federal crimes, he only got a three-year sentence. Uh, the two-month ran concurrently, so he got off pretty easily, too, really, by lying to a House and Senate committee, only getting two months. And as I said, he serves concurrently. And for those of you that are listening and don't know what that means, concurrently means that while he's serving that three-month sentence, he'll serve that two-month sentence. And that's it. It runs at the same time. If it would have been a consecutive sentence, what that means is after he served the three-year sentence for all the financial crimes he committed, he would then serve a two-month sentence to finish out for lying to the House and Senate committee. However, they ran that concurrently, so once he served his three-year sentence, he was out. But by early 2019, not long after his conviction, just literally a matter of months, he was disbarred from practicing law in New York. And we've talked about that plenty of times on this podcast, different ones that when they've been convicted, they sometimes will lose their medical license, sometimes they lose their right to, they get disbarred and lose their right to practice law. And then there's other ones that, as we've seen, they get barred from the SEC or any type of investment licensing and they're not able to legally work on Wall Street or do any type of legal investment. But as we always talk about here, they're able to work behind the scenes a lot of times as a quote-unquote consultant, and it happens all the time. So it doesn't always mean the end of their career. It just kind of changes where they're at. They're not going to be out in the forefront and out in the scene, so to speak, and in the limelight, but they can still certainly operate behind the scenes, and many do, I'm sure. But by 2019, just a few months after his federal convictions, he decides, or they decide to disbar him from practicing law in the state of New York. Now, he reported to the Otisville Federal Prison in New York in May of 2019, so he didn't even have to go out of state. A lot of these ones that we've talked about sometimes get pulled to other states. I believe Martha Stewart we talked about, she got drug all the way down to West Virginia from where she was at to have to serve her time in. So sometimes... uh, Some of them get pulled a long way from home, and some of them get to report in their own home state or probably not far from their backyard, and I'm sure his political connections and wealth and privilege and things like that afforded him that, where he was able to go into what was really reported, and I can remember this at the time too, that it was almost like a white-collar resort for white-collar criminals. It really wasn't like a prison. It was more like... Again, just kind of a white-collar resort for 
some of these guys to do a little bit of time. And I can remember some of the luxuries they were talking about there. I believe there was like a pool and tennis courts and things like that being reported that was going on. So it certainly wasn't like he was in prison. And we've talked about other privileges some of them get when Jeffrey Epstein first got convicted of some of the multiple sex crimes that he had been involved in down in Florida. He was given a work release program where he barely spent any time in jail at all. Just pretty much would come in at night to sleep. And that was about it. So money and connections can certainly have its privileges in the justice system, even beyond conviction when it comes to how you report or how you are incarcerated and even do your time. But with the COVID thing, again, going back to that, and any of you out there listening, I'm sure most, if not all of you, remember that madness from just a few years ago. And when we're talking May of 2020, it's really at the height of when the panic and things were really breaking out for it. So to clear room from the prison after serving probably not even half of his actual sentence behind bars, he was moved to house arrest. Now that does sometimes happen too, as we've talked about prior to release. Some of them are transitioned to what's called a halfway house or something like that to kind of get them ready for life out on the outside. And sometimes more for pre-trial, you will see house arrest where somebody, while they're awaiting charges, maybe if they've got the right connections or in a situation like this, if jails are crowded or you've got a pandemic going on or something like that, sometimes the courts won't order them to serve house arrest where they don't leave their house. Many times this accompanies the electronic monitoring. You guys have seen the ankle bracelets. Deal with those all the time at my real job. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a pain and they are, I think, quite overrated on their effectiveness. I'm sure you've all seen the horror stories. Many a times where people cut them off and go on the lamb and take off running. It's not hard to do. They are not near the crime stopper that people think they are, but some, but that again is not that unusual, especially during that time. I can remember there were a lot of releases from the jails and prisons and a lot of them weren't taking anyone in unless it was a very serious kind of like violent offense for anybody to be admitted. So I don't think it was necessarily just his wealth or privilege at that time that got this. It was mainly just due to the madness that went on at that time for COVID. So he got to basically serve out about the last half of his sentence from home, which if all of us recall in May 2020, a lot of us were serving sentences in our homes. Uh, A lot of people were locked down. Thankfully, I did not miss work. They didn't shut my work down, but I have plenty of friends and family that did have that happen to them, and they basically were doing prison sentences in their homes. So not a real pleasant time that I recall, and glad we have certainly moved beyond that. But That's where he got to finish out the last part of his sentence, and he was finally released for good in July of 2020, and supposedly went to work as a quote-unquote consultant for a political action committee, which raised money for political candidates to support their causes. Again, behind the scenes, it's easy to have that label and just kind of do whatever you want without anybody watching you and without the licensing and regulation They go with that or with that being at risk of losing that if you get caught. So he's able to go behind. And he would continue to speak out against President Trump, but was reported by the DA at the time that was working on a case in New York. I think Alvin Bragg at the time, even as controversial as he is, they said he would not use Cohen as a witness due to a credibility problem because He had lied to so many different people. They have him on record before the House and Senate lying. It's what got him two months extra in prison. 
So, or at least got him a two-month prison sentence. As I said, it ran concurrently with what he had. But uh, that was the issue at hand. So somebody that can't be trusted, but apparently at least this one political action committee that he's working for as a quote-unquote consultant found him trustworthy enough. But he's one we'll keep an eye on on this podcast. Uh, He's out and he's a free man, so he's certainly able to uh, commit more crimes if he needs to because that's uh, often something we like to look at on this podcast is what they are going to do after release. Now, a lot of them we've talked about have died or died in prison or are never getting out of prison, but he's one, obviously, that's out right now, so only time will tell whether he will reoffend. Again, he's not going to be able to practice law, but he can certainly still work behind the scenes as a consultant. So we will kind of keep an eye on that and see. But we thank you for keeping an eye on things and being part of this podcast. We hope that you will tune in and join us next week. Uh, follow us on our Facebook page, White Collar Crimes, and email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com if you want to be on this podcast or even if you have an idea for this podcast. Be sure and like us and follow us on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're hearing this. Give us the good old five-star rating. Help pass it along and keep this going. And as I always like to say, too, be sure and visit your local pet shelter. Wife and I got two adorable foster puppies right now. We got from a local shelter here. Uh, They are going to, to be adopted and going to their new home on july 31st so we won't have them long but it's uh brought us a lot of joy over the years highly recommend you consider fostering from your local shelter as well so be sure and tune in to us next week we appreciate you being here for this one and uh if you have an idea for a show like i said or if you want to be on please do we'd love either one so uh god bless and have a good week we will see you back here all again next week